This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Marketplaces Strategy at Acadia. And today I am joined by my boss, the co-founder and CEO of Acadia, Jared Belsky. Welcome to the show, Jared. Hi, Kiri. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this is going to be a fun topic and you're no shrinking violet and often out there in the media and certainly on LinkedIn as well, sharing some provocative perspectives on occasion. I like to think so. Today, we're going to talk about what partner are you actually looking for? And this is from the perspective of brand side marketers or brand side sales leaders who are considering agency, in-source, all different types of solution providers as well. As we think about retail marketplaces, retail media, there are an assortment of options when it comes to standing up a channel, building it out, optimizing it. And we are an agency and we have a perspective and I think that that's worth calling out, but I think given your time in the industry as well and all the different types of iterations that we see amongst our clients in terms of how they are set up and how they get support, interesting and worthwhile discussion to talk about what options are there out there and which ones, the pros and cons ultimately. Absolutely. I guess I think of it this way. Every e-commerce marketer, brand marketer who's listening to this is having to think about 2024 and they have some growth goal. And even with that growth goal, they're dealing with various headwinds, whatever that is. Maybe it's inflation. Maybe they even have a smaller budget. Maybe there's competition. The one thing every listener has in common is they need some help. That's sort of the easy conclusion. We need help to do more. What happens next is that I think there are a lot of options for your listeners for help. What I think unfairly happens to them is the options are misbranded, misrepresented, or they get blended. So for example, if I were to just simply categorize the four options, I think that an e-commerce marketer has to grow and to get help, one, well, they can absolutely beef up their in-house investment. That's very viable. Talk about that. Two, there is a pure play agency option, an agency that exists to help you with PPC, DSP, AMC, but also your A-plus content, your refunds, your ops, but all they do in the world is they serve as an agency trying to help you. Three, there are many resellers out there, which we'll get into, which is a model. And four, there are tech companies whose main existence is to be a SaaS platform to help you with something, help you with competitive Intel, help you with pricing Intel, help you with understanding something about the marketplace. But often they are also masquerading as a managed service. I think for the listener, it's really important to understand how these four are different and to understand their, like you said, their pros and cons and when they're right or wrong. It's not that any of these choices are inherently right or wrong or good or evil. The problem is to pick the wrong choice at the wrong time with the wrong knowledge set. And I think that's what would be fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we get to category two, which is 
what we are at Acadia. There are still examples of prospects that we speak with where an agency at this point in the life cycle is not actually the right fit. So we'll talk about those scenarios as well. Well, let's kick off with the first sort of option moving into 2024, which is to beef up in-house investment. Yeah, I think this is absolutely the right option, but two things have to be true, which are sometimes limiting. Number one, you have to be in a climate where your CFO is approving headcount. In many companies, this is a real process. You have to make a justification. You have to make a business case. It sometimes has to route through all sorts of layers. So the first thing I'd say to you and the listeners is, are you likely to get the headcount approved? Because the most interesting thing is a lot of companies across the states and the globe is it's ironically easier to sometimes get third-party approval for help faster than internal headcount. So that's sort of the first question, which a lot of people sometimes skip over. I think the next question is, what are you trying to be great at? If you are an e-commerce marketer and you're trying to be amazing at health and wellness, and the cornerstone of your brand is that you have an incredible premium brand and the best product, then the question is, is do you want to be using your headcount to try and somehow hire the best PPC talent or the best A-plus content in the country? Or do you want to use all that precious headcount on brand and product? I think what I say to you is if you're going to go in-house, know why are you trying to hire? What do you specialize in? And is it your destiny to try and be great at all facets of marketplace management and retail media management? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, I love those reasons there. To your last point about specialization, this can make sense for a company at a certain size and with certain level of volume on an Amazon or other marketplace. But the reality is that there's very discrete skills that are required to manage a marketplace. And I would not put the same person who is doing inventory projections and requesting chargebacks and sort of managing the day-to-day operational side of Amazon, I wouldn't put that same person in charge of running ads. And I wouldn't put that same person in charge of product content. There are very discrete skills and characteristics required for those like three roles, let's say. And until you get to a certain level of scale, it doesn't make sense to have one FTE for each of those skill sets. Okay. I'm obviously a little biased, but I completely love your point because that dynamic you're describing goes on and on, right? Imagine you're this health and wellness brand that's trying to sell on e-commerce. So you hire someone because he or she is incredible at advertising on Amazon. They really are masters of DSP and PPC and Amazon, but are they also masters of those same products on Walmart? Do they understand Instacart? Do they know Kroger? Do they understand Ulta? I would even say that's unfair for any human, any one human. To me, maybe you've just stumbled on a great way to think about it. If your headcount only allows you to get one employee, is it even fair to that person to have to be masters of six different marketplaces and nine different technologies? Are you setting up that person to succeed? To your earlier point, if you have the budget to get five or six people and make a proper center of excellence in your company, go do it. Right. Absolutely. And don't hire an agency. You don't always need to make that choice. Mm -hmm. But if you have only the ability to hire one or two people, look ahead to where you see the puck is going, the specialization that's happening in the marketplace, and ask yourself, is it fair to this 26-year-old named Sally to know eight marketplaces? Yeah. Likely not. I love that you brought up center of excellences because I think it's a great solve for a large company 
to create a center of excellence makes all the sense in the world. We still hear from a number of large enterprise brands with a center of excellence. We hear from the center of excellence team, hey, we need to tap into some brain trust here. And we get asked to assist that center of excellence team with staying up to date on the latest and greatest strategies and tactics in various areas. Because the center of excellence team, although they think all day, every day about Amazon content and brand and doing all of that, the reality is that it's just within the confines of that brand and that category. And you can kind of get a little don't necessarily know what else is going on in other categories or other ways of doing things. And that is sort of the advantage of working with a partner that works across different verticals and different clients. That's another point on this in-house investment is that keeping that team, if you have that fresh and some new information coming in and you're prepared to invest in continued education and forums and things like that where those people can continually upskill and learn as they go along because all this stuff changes very, very quickly. I love this debate. You know, I love to try and flip this to get people thinking. I like to ask a smirky question of like, why do you think a hundred percent of the companies in the United States have an in-house accounting team? Well, there's two reasons. An obvious and non-obvious. The obvious reason is, well, you should probably be counting your own money. It's the right thing to do. Be close to your money. But the less obvious answer, sort of the wise-ass answer, is accounting principles and rules don't change very often. The accounting principles of 2023 are remarkably similar to the accounting principles and rules of 1970. But then you look at retail media marketplaces. Mm. Products, players, platforms, and measurement methodologies of today have almost nothing in common with just 12 months ago. Yeah. Sometimes the notion is get help in markets that are big, complex, and fast growing. Gets back to the thesis, right? Help is essential. It's all just knowing like who can help in what case. And that's why I get really passionate about one of those categories from earlier, which is there's a lot of tech platforms right now and SaaS platforms who bring an incredible service to the industry. But I would just say overstepping a little bit into representing themselves as agencies. And I think that's something for clients to just be fully understanding of. Let's step right into that fourth bucket then, and we can come back to the others. So technology companies offering analytics, ad tech platforms, what else would you put in that bucket? They're offering competitive intelligence. Mm -hmm. They're offering understanding share of wallet analytics, all these sorts of tech platforms. Let me just get this compliment out there first. They are incredibly important. We count some of those as our partners here at Acadia. Yeah, we use them. <laughs> love them. Yep. But I do have a quaint belief because as a business owner, like doing one thing well is incredibly hard, let alone trying to do a whole nother thing very well is very hard, right? If you're a SaaS company, let's even pick one we really love. Like we love take analytics edge, right? Like if you're a SaaS company, what you do is create a measurement tool that's meant to be logged into and used to do the same 10 things over and over again, reliably, predictably, affordably. That's what SaaS is. That is what SaaS is. That is so diametrically opposed to agency life, which is messy. The same problems never repeated again. <laughs> Briefs are complicated. It's very human. Things break. It's very bespoke, right? Those two need states are in conflict. What's happening in the marketplace, and again, truly, I'm not like a conspiratorial person, 
is that someone signs up with a SaaS platform because they love that particular thing they're helping them with. There's trust built. And then someone, often a young salesperson says, hey, we can help you with your digital media and we can help you with area plus content and we can help you with the refunds. And like, sure. Oh, for only 3%? Yeah, great. And everyone feels really good for like three months. I think that's the issue. I just think that it's very difficult to do two diametrically opposed things at the same time. Mm. And then I think you've also made a point where, and again, this is not the case necessarily for all software solutions out there, but some gaps in the technology can be filled with service. And sometimes that is sort of a requirement of getting the best out of a software investment is actually hiring the help to implement it and integrate it and interpret it. You gave me, I think, a compliment early on that I'm not a shrinking violet. So I'll run to that, which is if I were to tell you, where are we getting a lot of our newest clients from, a lot of them are trading over from SaaS platforms that told them they were their full service agency. Mm. And they're phoning us up and saying, we need help. And then just to be clear, because there's no sour grapes, this is like a really great ecosystem where I think everyone generally is friends and trying to raise the whole tide. All that is, is a client saying, I still love that technology, right, Jared? I just needed more help, more specialization, more hands on more strange things. And that's where that comes in. And I'm not on the boards of all these companies. I would just encourage everyone to be really clear on what they're great at. Yeah. Try and do that here. We try and tell people what we're great at and what we're not great at. Mm. How about we talk about resellers next and to define that in the space that we're talking about and the listeners of this podcast will understand that there are unauthorized resellers and those are difficult and we don't like them. And that's a whole separate topic. What we're talking about here is engaging with a reseller or a distribution company specifically so they can take on some of the burden of selling on these marketplaces so that you've got less headaches as a brand. But that's not the end of the story, as we'll discuss. <laughs> yeah, good lead. In keeping with the theme of this chat, it's not that it's good or bad. It's about buyer beware. If you're going to pick a reseller, you have to have a thesis and then you have to understand the warnings. The reason to go with the reseller model is probably twofold. One, you're really interested in offloading some element of risk. You're really interested in <laughs> you're getting a PO versus you're having to pay someone. We'll get back to that in a minute though. And you're comfortable with ceding these operations and certain amount of control to someone else because you believe that's not that interesting. But let me flip that because I actually think there's a lot of people who maybe don't appreciate the downside of that. Let me play it out a little bit differently. If you are in the e-commerce business, I would argue that you would absolutely want to control your distribution. You'd want to control your pricing. You'd want to control what SKUs you're leaning into and not leaning to. And you'd also want to understand your inventory positions. And some of the fine print is what's not known. Some of these mm -hmm. resellers sell you the world. Yeah. Hey, good news. I'll cut you a check. And I'll take your inventory. But the fine print sort of says, if there's not a certain amount of velocity of selling of each SKU, then I get to ship it back to you. But really, are you taking on risk or not? And they might not carry a full assortment. They get to, yeah. That's absolutely right. So that's the other thing. 
or the reseller will say, yeah, I'll take your best eight SKUs, but I have no interest in the dog poop. Well, all of a sudden, when you're starting to really grade that option and you really dig into the contract and the fine print, what's just happened? You've given over control. You've let someone take your best SKUs, but you're left with the less impressive ones and now is your problem. And if they don't turn the inventory good enough because they're not great at their trade, it's getting shipped back to you. Mm. So again, I can absolutely imagine how on a sales pitch, that must just be like mana from heaven. Hey, I'm going to take your inventory. I'm going to give you money and you're going to have nothing to do. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's just not the case. Mm -hmm. Again, totally fits this discussion of buyer beware and just understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a admittedly small, but a number of clients who coexist reasonably happily with authorized resellers. And it is a business decision. But as you say, you got to go in with your eyes open. So let's talk about the agency model. And I'm I'm aware this kind of sounds like a really long advertorial. So maybe we could start with when is an agency not the right move for a brand and some of the things to be aware of. And just as a little bit of background as well, Jared, your professional background is having spent a lot of time in agencies and on the client side as well at Coca-Cola. So you sort of know this world inside and out much prior to Acadia as well. Could we start with like, when is hiring an agency not such a great idea? I'm going to answer this question by maybe zooming out not being only in e-commerce, and then we'll zoom back in. So I think there are probably three categories of times when a brand marketer should not necessarily reach for an agency. Number one, if it's their destiny to be graded a specific expertise, you cannot shirk that destiny or that responsibility. For example, I was once lucky enough to be helping Capital One with their media and their digital analytics and they called me to their offices and they were so nice and so honest. They said, Jerry, we made a hard decision. We're going to take this in-house and I need to tell you why. We have more engineers than most of the world has. Data and credit are cousins. And if we're going to be the best capital one we can for our shareholders, we have to own our data. We have to own our digital marketing destiny and our customer analytics. And we can't use you as a crutch. And I shook his hand and this particular person, him and I are friends 20 years later because he was right. It was the best decision I didn't even put up a defense other than I said, okay, we'll help you with a transition. So I think the first question is, are you giving up something to someone else as a crutch versus challenging yourself to be great at something that's so intrinsically key to your business, like Capital One and data? Good one. That's a really, really good point. Yep. I think the second one is probably just the economics have to make sense. And no one likes to talk about money because it's like awkward or it's boring, but it's kind of like, you got to think about it. Are you going to get economic efficiency by using an agency? Meaning if you're able to scale your ads budget from a million to 10 million, but the fee stays reasonable and it prevents you from having to hire 15 people in house, like, okay, that sounds like a win-win. But basically my second thing is, do the economics work? And most people fail to ask that question before they RFP. I'd say the third thing is if the product itself is so complex and so inside baseball that the marketing and the product are like hand in hand, it's akin of giving away your brand to someone else. And there are certain situations where that happens and you just want to own that whole customer experience because the customer experience of the marketing is your brand. There are examples of all three of these. I don't know. Those are some things that come to mind. Yeah, look, I love what we do and I love what agencies do, but it's not always the right choice. 
got another one to throw in the mix there, which is when you don't have a accountable person who has a baseline understanding of what you're trying to do and the broad strokes of the mechanics of getting to the goal and that person doesn't have political influence within the organization and bringing an agency into that situation where there isn't an accountable person who can make decisions and drive the agency that is set up for failure really true. And like you brought that up it's not as well known i think a lot of people think once you've just selected the agency it's like Christmas morning, you know, you open up your toy, you put in the batteries and the toy just works, hopefully. <laughs> the agency is a lot more, I don't know what the right analogy is, a garden maybe. It needs some care and feeding, it needs some instruction, it needs mm-hmm. some weeding. There's a dance partner and you need a client sponsor to be that dance partner with the agency. And you're so right. Sometimes the RFP for the agency and the idea for an agency germinates from a boardroom or from wherever, but no one's put enough thought to like, who's going to be the client's dance partner? Mm. Who's going to brief them? Who's going to guide them? Who's going to get them legal approvals? Who's going to get more of the catalog put up on Amazon and so forth? And sometimes agencies don't even realize how important that client sponsor is, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I think I should have. Fortunately, there's a little book I've heard of called You Get the Agency You Deserve, which is Jared's book, came out a few months ago. It's good reading if you're on the brand side and want to get more out of your agency relationship, really good read all the the pitfalls of not having that brand side sponsorship in place. Yeah, absolutely. I think the question too often is, is that agency great or not? And to be clear, the responsibility should start with the agency, right? Is the agency good? Are they skilled? Are they ethical? Are they accurate, thoughtful experts? All that's right. But I think there's a lot, there's a huge role for the client to play mm-hmm. in making that agency a multiplying force for great or not. How do you brief the agency? Are you specific or are you lazy? Do you give the agency the right reasonable budget for Q1 or you ended up giving them a budget that was 50% inaccurate? Did you fight to get them the best products to put up and to advertise? Were you their advocate to get the right creative put up on the PDPs to have the best results? Did you fight in the boardroom to help get the right budget because the budget that was over in um, linear TV was less effective? Sometimes it's something even more human. Sorry to inform your listeners, but right now there's a listener who wants to fire their agency. Right now, literally, whoever's listening to this, one of you wants to fire agency right now. (laughs) And that may be right, but you may not hate the agency. You may hate your account person, Mm -hmm. a leader who said the wrong thing. The challenge to you might be therapy is a lot more enriching than divorce. Yeah. Have you, a client, spent time thinking about how to nurture the next great chapter or did you quit prematurely? Mm. All this, it just all ties together. And I'll end with empathy because I think that's my favorite place to end on a good day, which is any one of your e-commerce marketers who are listening to this podcast are under pressure, right? This is kind of where I started the talk with you. And when you're under pressure, just like if you're drowning in the water, you flail about trying to grab anything a life rope or a life jacket or a great friend who swims well. Similarly, if you're in e-commerce right now and you're staring down the barrel of a 20% increase in sales, a 10% decrease in budget, Mm. that's absolutely anxiety producing. So you grab for help. Yeah. But you got to slow down and not grab the wrong help device. Do you need an agency? Maybe, maybe not. Do you need a reseller? Maybe, maybe not. Because if you grab the wrong help, you're actually 
going to exacerbate your original problem, not make it better. And I just hope if anything, someone might just process their choices as they head into 24. There are four great choices. It's not that there are four bad choices. They're just all situationally right, situationally different. Good way to end it. Thank you so much, Jared. Enjoyed it.